the last words of Jesus to the 11 remaining disciples. Mark Searle, when he produced the program for the term, gave it the title of Mission Possible. But Mission Impossible, it will have seemed to many people down through the centuries. It would have seemed like that perhaps to Abraham when he received a revelation and was under uh, a promise from around 2,000 years before Jesus was born. The promise made to a childless Abraham that look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them, so shall your offspring be. If you had spoken to Abraham after he had received that revelation, he surely would not have been able to explain quite how his offspring, when he had no children, would one day be uncountable like the stars of the sea and the sands on the seashore. But in the passage that Diane read, there occurs this remarkable statement, Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited to him for righteousness. It's a line that St. Paul quotes in Romans and Galatians and James in his letter to show that whoever exercises faith in Christ is a true child of Abraham. We are the children of Abraham like the stars of the sky, almost uncountable. So let's fast forward about 2,000 years then to the time when Jesus has just disappeared from the sight of of those apostles. His last words, which we've just heard ringing in their ears. They are, he tells them, to wait for the coming of the Spirit and then to go to the ends of the earth, knowing that he is with them until the end of the age. Here are 11 people who have spent a mere three years with Jesus. Three years, as we know, all too well, is not a long time, is it? Three years, plucked from their daily lives, but not entirely having left them. The leader is a fisherman. More than likely, he had never gone more than 50 or 60 miles in any one direction from his birthplace. He's referred to by the Jewish authorities in Acts as, this is Peter I'm talking about, of course, uneducated and unlearned. The phrase Luke uses is idiotes anthropos, idiot man, is what he is described as by the Jewish authorities. And Jesus, their leader, has left them absolutely no resources, humanly speaking. No autobiography, no library of his teachings, no buildings, no money, no built blueprint of how they're going to get to the ends of the earth, never mind what they're going to do when they get there. The disciples do not have even a one-page plan. Well, the government's got a 565-page plan for Brexit, but I don't know it's going to be of any help. <laughs> so perhaps they're better off with no plan. If ever there was a mission impossible, this was it. A ragtag team of misfits as leaders, a few hundred followers of varying degrees of commitment, plus what they could just about remember of what Jesus had said and done in those three years, not to mention the memory of how they'd messed up so often. But of course it wasn't mission impossible. It proved to be mission possible. So imagine then, 
sitting down with Peter a day or two after they returned to Jerusalem and asking Peter, well, how do you think you're going to carry out this instruction from the Lord? I guess his answer would be, I haven't a clue. Imagine then saying to him, you know what, Peter? In a couple of thousand years, I predict there will be followers of Jesus in every country of the world, more than 200 of them, including whole continents that you don't even know exist. And what's more, roughly 2.6 billion people will describe themselves as Christian, one in three of the whole population of the world. And there'll be hundreds of thousands of buildings where those people come together to worship the Lord. There'll be hundreds of millions about the books, about the faith. And your sermons, which you're going to put into a couple of letters in about 30 years' time, will have been translated into hundreds of languages. He wouldn't have been able to comprehend it, would he? He might even have said, you're having a laugh. And maybe God was, in a way. But that, because that, of course, is exactly what has happened. And he, Peter, was a key figure in those early years, along with someone else he might not have known at the time, called Paul. And both of them would end up, 30 years later, in the city of Rome, the birthplace, the heart of the Roman Empire. And by then, they would have known that the Christian communities were spread all around the Mediterranean. The birth of the church, the continuing of the church in the first century, and its spread over the continents over the next two millennia, are indeed miracles. Perhaps the strongest proof ever that Jesus died and rose again. They are missions impossible which have become possible. Because as the angel said to Mary, announcing the birth or announcing she was pregnant with God, all things are possible. And how did it happen? Well, it happened because God is true to his word and promises. It was always his plan that the whole world should know the saving news concerning Jesus Christ. But it also happened because men and women, from the very beginning, worked as God's servants to bring his plan about. And in every generation since then, there have been those who've demonstrated enormous courage, commitment, boldness, sacrifice, love, hard work, generosity, and passion to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Many of them, thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions, gave up careers or marriage or family, security, a comfortable life, money, possessions, position, and frequently their lives to see the fulfillment of that commission. Many forces have tried to stop the spread of the kingdom of God. Dictators and empires and armies and other religion, scorn or apathy, lies and propaganda. And sadly, on all too many occasions, Christians have done their best to stop it, really. What with uh, corrupt popes and corrupt tele-evangelists, and bitter dissension between evangelists and heresies and apathy, distorted belief, wealth hypocrisy, being too allied with the powers of the state. But despite all of that, the forces without and the forces within, the gates of hell, as Jesus predicted, have never overcome 
or even stemmed, really, the flow of the gospel. Yes, it's true there have been many times when the gospel has fallen on stony ground or when it's been received only to disappear in later generations. Those pioneer churches of the first century AD are nearly all gone, as is much of the church of North Africa, which produced many of the great Christian leaders of the first three or four centuries. But then the seed springs up in another part of the world, in Europe, and then later on in North America, South America, and in Asia. And when eventually the North Korean regime fails, as it surely will one day, you will send witness a resurgence of Christianity as you have in the South of Korea. And we here gathered today, this service, some more later at 11, some more at 6.30. We stand at the end of a long line of people who by word and deed have played their part in that great commission. Every one of us here became a Christian because someone shared the gospel with us. A parent, a teacher, a youth leader, a Sunday school teacher, a friend, a brother, a sister, a preacher. And those people caught it from someone else who caught it from someone else, who caught it from someone else back through the centuries. Maybe some of us can trace our lineage back to Augustine and the monks who came to him with, to England in the 6th century. Or maybe to Columba and Aden who came to the north of the country. But one thing is for sure, every baptized member of the church in every part of the world today has an unbroken connection through the generations to those apostles, to those apostles who listen to the words of Jesus giving the great commission. But we of course are not quite the end of the line. We are still in the line, part of the command to be witnesses and make disciples. I don't know if you saw that little news piece about a month ago about a community bookshop in Southampton. It had to leave its premises and move 150 meters up the road. And to move their book of stocks, 250 volunteers gathered one Sunday to form a human chain to pass the books, book by book, along the line to the new premises. That's a picture of the church down through the centuries, how it's meant to be today. We should all be in the line, attempting to pass on the words of life, because the job is far from finished, and the command still applies. It's a task given to the church, wherever it is found, and no Christian is exempt from playing his or her part in that. That share may be no more but no less than being a faithful, courageous witness to Jesus Christ in the part of the world in which they, we live. For us, that's Western and its surroundings. The street we live in, the family we belong to, our place of work and the networks we belong to. In some ways today, we have it easy and in other days, ways we're witnessing a culture which is more and more indifferent or even hostile to God and the Christian faith. We are more and more, as we know, a minority. And at times that feels uncomfortable. 
we used to be in the majority, at least nominally so, but now we are no longer. That, of course, is the experience of most Christians in most countries down those 2,000 years. And better to be part of a living, lively minority than a dead majority. Hmm? But in a lively, medium-sized church like ours, the signs of decline maybe are not so great. And so it's perhaps easy to be lulled into thinking things are still okay. But we have to go on rediscovering ways of presenting the gospel afresh. I don't know if the decline of the church in the UK will be stopped, let alone reversed. But that's true of many a missionary who's gone out not knowing for sure whether there'll be any fruit for their labors. What we do know is that our responsibility under God is to be faithful, to pray for those who are not yet disciples and who may never be, to be true witnesses in the way we live our lives and in the words we say so that no one will ever say of us, well, I didn't realize you were a Christian. Uh, One simple way which uh, we can do something about coming up shortly is to give out one of the thousand or so Christmas invitation cards that have been printed. So maybe you can give two or three or four or five away to a neighbor or a family member or a friend, inviting them to one of the Christmas events here so that they too might hear afresh the Christmas story. One thing, though, a little digression here that All Saints has always taken seriously is mission. And you may not know, if you don't study the annual report, that in 2017 and 2018, we'll have given £25,000 in both years to organizations outside of the church, £8,000 to the Genesis Project, 4000 to Bath Youth for Christ, £1,200 to Bibles for Wasps, for children in Wasps, And further afield, £4,000 to the Hope Christian Trust, working with Arab children in Israel and Gaza. 7000 to Eagles Relief in Malawi. £3,000 to the Mengo Hospital in Uganda. And £4,000 to SOMA, which sends out teams of people for week-long missions to help make disciples in Africa. And on top of that... Through our parish share system, we're giving about £65,000 to help support ministry in the rest of the diocese. So all of that is hugely positive and a sign of the continuing generosity commitment of this congregation to the Great Commission. But we can't subcontract entirely uh, our responsibility through giving money or through other people. We are to be witnesses, and yes, it is a big challenge. It is hard finding the words to say and the right ways to to do church, to present the gospel of phrase, to make connections with people. But I'll end with one story. You know, at the end, of the, surprisingly, at the end of the 18th century, there was virtually no Protestant missionary activity. Almost nothing. The Protestant churches of the time had looked really to their own countries and their own situations. And indeed, many Christians felt that it was no business of theirs to spread the gospel abroad, and that if God wanted the heathen to be converted, he would do it in his own good time without needing to use any Christians. 
But there was one young Baptist pastor who became increasingly convinced that this was not how it was supposed to be. He felt that the Great Commission given by Jesus still applied today in the 1790s. And whilst working as a school teacher and pastor, he accumulated data on all the nations of the world trying to work out their populations and how many of them were Christians. And then he published a tract urging the formation of a missionary society. That tract is now seen as the starting pistol for the Protestant missionary movement of the next 200 years. Later that year, he, and his name was William Carey, preached a famous sermon. In it, he addressed the famous challenge, the enormous challenges that there were in fulfilling the commission. Nothing is left of his sermon except two statements from it, which you will probably know. He told his congregation, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. And a month or two later, the Baptist Missionary Society was formed, and six months later, in April 1793, William Carey set sail for India with his family, where he labored for the next 40 years. And his, so his action then prompted a huge outburst of activity, which has resulted in the church being in every country in the world today. We face huge challenges, yes, bringing the gospel afresh to the UK, to Western and Bath in 2018. But perhaps nothing to the challenges faced by Peter and Paul those days after Pentecost, or by William Carey, or by thousands of others. But whatever the challenges, the command to go and make disciples still remains in force. It has not been withdrawn. But we know that alongside the command is Jesus' words to be with us to the end of the age and to the ends of the earth. Amen.